Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, First off, I'd like to apologize for having this podcast not uploaded on the normal time on Sunday afternoon. I actually... I was able to to get out and preach for the morning, but I was uh, ended up getting a little sick, and so I'd actually been sleeping most of the time in between I normally post and now. Uh, so I apologize for the delay. But with that, I've I've put together a message. It was the one that I did preach on Sunday, and it's it's a little bit of a New Year's message in the sense that uh, you know, just wanted to take some time to reflect. You know, we. You know, it was on Sunday, it was New Year's Eve. And as the year is coming to an end, I wanted to take a little bit of time just to reflect back on the year that many of us would have had, uh, you know, looking at our successes or our failures. It's a very common thing that we tend to do. And so as the world stops and recounts all the events of last year, we should also set some time aside to remember our own testimony and what God has done in our own lives to reflect on the blessings and even, yes, lament on the trials that we may have faced and to remember to praise God in the midst of both trials and blessings. Let's keep in mind all the blessings that we have living, you know, here in Canada or in the United States or in West in the Western world. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a tremendous blessing that we do have, even though there are a lot of things waging war against us, it's important for us to remember our blessings and with that in mind, I wanted to share you know a little bit from a, the satirical article from the from the Babylon Bee that should just help us to remember how we are blessed and and you know what we're fighting for in the rest of the world. You know, so here's the article. And just before I jump into the article, the message I've entitled today is actually it's called "Do Not Love," and the subheading is "Compassion, Clarity, and Conviction." And we're the text we'll be working off of this morning or evening, or whenever you're listening, is 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. So if you have your Bibles and you're following along, you can go ahead and turn there. But let's jump into this, this funny, fun article from the, the Babylon Bee. Times are tough in here in the United States, especially for Christians, from subpar coffee quality and stale breakfast pastries to the worship team's fog machine breaking down and congregates having to park up to 100 feet away from the church building. American churches are facing unprecedented hardships, but how are our Christian brothers and sisters around the world faring? The Babylon Bee has conducted an investigation and come up with the following list of differences between the challenges faced by the underground church and the American church. So every time I say American church, you could think, you know, Canadian church, you could think Western world church, you could, you know, put any of those kind of things on there. Just so that we can remember to contrast the blessing that we have in the Western world versus our brothers who are fighting for the the same gospel in the rest of the world. So first up is the American church, complex growth and marketing strategies versus the underground church. Growth strategy is to preach the gospel and try not to die. 
the American church will have pastors jump dirt bikes over the stage to attract a crowd, whereas the underground church pastor will have to ride his dirt bike to escape the secret police. The American church pastor has thousands of followers on Instagram, whereas the underground pastor is forced to hide his identity to avoid the gulag. And the American eight-trained musicians play over a $12 million sound system, whereas the underground church have has acapella hymns whispered to avoid detection. In America, you could see hear the people say, bummer, your favorite preacher from the pastoral staff isn't speaking today, versus the underground will say, bummer, the only pastor your church has was imprisoned last night. In America, it'll say greeters stand near the doors, you know, to usher people into the church, whereas the underground church will have lookouts posted on the roof. American pastors hide money in the walls. Underground pastors hide in the walls. American pastors will or churches will search for new churches because the music isn't your style, whereas the underground church You'll search for a new church because yours was burnt down by warlords last week. Hey, America, the authorities have issued a mandate to stop the church from gathering together to worship. And the underground church, the authorities have to kill them to stop them from gathering together to worship. So I, I bring this, this article up, and it is tongue-in-cheek. It's satire from the Babylon Bee, but it's critical that we keep ourselves in check. Remembering the difficulties others face to help us remember that our mission is not over. And sometimes we might get knocked down or hurt, but we need to get up, rub a little dirt on it, and carry on with the mission. So as we turn to our text at 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, or 15 to 17, just remember that we do have a calling and we do have a purpose. And we should be remember to always, as we look back on the last year, you know, to count our blessings on where we are and to remember that God is with us even in the trials but and to give him praise both in the good times and in the bad because he, he is there for us in the midst of it all. So let's jump into our text in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And as an illustration, I wanted to pull this, this excerpt that I found from the, the, the U.S. Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia from September you know, 15th, uh, you know, 1787. And these, these, uh, these words come from James Madison. So, just keep in mind that it's that it's a different kind of English that they're speaking at the time, but I think the point will still come across. Whilst the last members were signing the Constitution, Dr. Benjamin Franklin looking towards the president's chair, at the back of which a rising sun happened to be painted, observed a few members near him, the painters had found it difficult to distinguish in their art a rising from a setting sun. I have said he often and often in the course of the session, the viscitudes of my hope and fears as it to its issue, look at the behind the president without being able to tell whether it was rising or setting. But now at length, I have happiness to know that it is rising and not setting. The founding father had accomplished what they had set out to do with full pains of labor. They have given birth 
and we're seeing the rise of a new nation. So this this little piece of a uh, you know this excerpt from James Madison brings to you know pretty clear thought the difference between a rising or setting sun. You know we have in our text this call to not love the world. We have in this call that to recognize that you know what is in of the, in the world the desires of the eyes and the pride of life the desires of the flesh these things are passing away but whoever does the will of god abides forever so the world at the time of christ's crucifixion they thought that they were creating the the end of the believer's belief that the this this you know idea of jesus christ by taking and smiting jesus that they were putting an end to, to his teachings they thought it was the setting of the sun but in reality as we know jesus christ rose on that third day and it was just the rising of the sun and it was just that new beginning in jesus christ that was just taking its its start at the uh, at, at after the third day of his crucifixion so this brings me to my first point, which is compassion. And the main part of compassion is that I don't want you to perish. And as Christians, we should want no one to perish. We should want everybody to turn to Jesus Christ for their salvation so that all men can turn to him and be saved and set free from the bondage of their sin. And they, this brings me to the first thought of what, what we're commanded not to love. We're commanded by, by Jesus Christ not to love the things of this world. Things that are so to, to sum this up, we're directed not to love things that are directed towards the wrong things. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. We're told in this scripture right away, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So clearly Jesus gave commands and ways to live that we are supposed to observe or live by. There are three times when we're called not to love. We hear a lot in today's society that love is love. This statement is meant to shut down discourse and render us unable to defend against the cultural changes that we see in the world today. The reality of this argument is the root, as at its root, oriental mysticism or Gnosticism that is present in our own age, but it's not a new idea. This has been around for a very long time. And when we look at our text in verse 15, we see John tell us to be wary of the world too. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John is not talking about loving our neighbor or for the created world, but rather the powers and principalities that make up the spiritual realm that are in opposition to God and in rebellion to his kingdom. In Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In James 4, 4, it says, you adulterous people, do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
It is that we are commanded not to love. Jesus tells us the hierarchy when dealing with the Sadducees in Matthew 22. So there's clearly a, an understanding of things that of a hierarchy and how love is supposed to, to actually be dealt with according to the will of God. In Matthew 22, 36 through 39, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when, where then does compassion come in? When the gospel is taken together as a whole and in context, we see our love has to first be focused on the right things. To focus on things of, on the things of God and his call in our life is right and proper. This is what leads others to repentance and salvation in Christ. This is godly love and compassion. We do not hate the sinner, but rather we desperately want to see them come into right relationship with the Father. And this brings me to my next thought, which is the importance of clarity. And as we think of clarity, think of the woman at the well and how Jesus dealt with the woman at the well. And she he brought to light her sin, brought it out into the daylight so she could see it, so she had to deal with it. And then in the end, he said, go and sin no more. Repent and sin no more. There is a declaration of this is your sin. Now go and, and live clean and away from it. Part of clarity is understanding that this is God's design. And part of the failure of man is that the world is looking at the wrong source. So when you are loving something that doesn't come from God, when you are loving something that is not within the framework or the pattern of God's design, you're pulling from the wrong source, and that love is wrong. God has given us the word of God, and it is a powerful resource that shows us time and time again the pattern that he has built into the world. And as a quick aside, if you think of Noah, and the time of Noah, this is before the Bible, God has put into nature, was put into mankind, an understanding of right and wrong. And so when the judgment of the time of Noah came about, they didn't have the word, but they had an understanding of right and wrong. And they were judged for their for the sin that they lived because it said that every thought and all imagination was wicked at the time of Noah. And that's why the judgment of God had to come in at that period of time. And only Noah and his family were saved. But we have a, this tremendous resource, which is the word of God. And when we read the word of God and hold to the truth of the gospel, we are able with a plain reading to see God's plan and his purpose. But we live in a fallen world and we are oftentimes bombarded with, a diff, with different or new ideas, new translations or interpretations. This is the same thing that the apostles were dealing with in the first century church. There was a creeping plague that was infiltrating many of the early churches. And that is why we have many of the epistles that are directly dealing with this so that we can have clarity on the subject. One example is the book of Hebrews and how it was directed at the Jews specifically to thwart wrong teaching and to clarify the new covenant in contrast to the old covenant. In our text with John, we see the battle that is beginning to be fought in verses 15 through 17. This call to resisting the world. John warned the readers of the worldly dangers that are that the that faced Christians as he 
you know, seeks to get to know God better. He did so to enable them, to prepare them for, to overcome these obstacles with God's help. As often in 1 John, we have reminders of what the readers already knew and were doing, or of what they knew they should avoid. The New Testament uses the term world in at least three ways. Sometimes the world refers to the planet Earth, the physical world. Sometimes it refers to humankind, the human world. And sometimes it refers to the human culture as influenced by Satan, the world system, which is what's being used here. John presents these three pairs, or these contrasting ideas, in the earlier part of 1 John and 2, uh, chapter 2, 12 through 14. In verse 15, he's using the love of the world to contrast the true love, the love of the Father. In verse 16, he's using the come comes from the world, the idea of what is coming out of the world versus what comes from the Father to contrast what is what is good to love, which is what comes from the Father, and which we shouldn't love, which comes from the world. And then to contrast the end of the times, the world that's passing away versus the one who obeys God remains forever. So those who abide in the Father live forever, and those who abide in the world will pass away with it. So these thoughts, these ideas, they're they're critical to our understanding of what godly love is and the kind of love that we're supposed to respect and honor and the kind of love that we're called not to not to foster. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may discern what it is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In 2 Timothy 4, 10, we get a picture of how how you know of this battle was clearly evident in their time. For in four ten it says, "For Demas, in his love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia." In verses fifteen through twenty seven of our text, we only read a snippet of this, but we can see that there's a recognizing of the spiritual adversary if you read the continuation of that chapter. Having encouraged the readers with affirmations that their spiritual condition was very good, John turned next to the enemies that they must face, the world and the Antichrist. John summarized the appeal of the world system as threefold. Here's a picture of the infernal trinity, the three faces of the world, the three sources of worldly temptation. Lusts are cravings and desires, and in context, they are evil because they are not in harmony with God's will. The lust of the flesh is the desire to do something apart from the will of God. It includes every sinful activity that appeals to the sinful hearts of people. The lusts of the eyes is the desire to have something apart from the will of God. Whatever is appealing to our senses but is not properly ours to desire or obtain falls under this category. And the pride of life is the desire to be something apart from the will of God. It refers to the boastful pretensions in earthly matters. The first desire appeals mainly to the body. The second appeals to the soul or the intellect. And the third to the spirit. The most common manifestation of lust of the flesh in modern Western civilization is illicit sex, hedonism, idolizing pleasure. 
The most common manifestation of lust of the eyes is the excessive buying, materialism, idolizing possessions. And the most common manifestation of the pride of life is trying to control egotism and idolizing power. In Romans 13, 14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratifying its desires. This is far different than what our society calls us to do today, isn't it? But we're called to make no room for the flesh or gratifying its desires. In 1 Peter 4.2, it says, So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In 2 Peter 2.18-19, For speaking loud boasts, boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are enslaved, are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is the folly we deal with, is that the world is calling you know, us to be caught into the same web of folly that they are the same sensual passions of the flesh that they are. Even though they, they think they're, they're calling for freedom, they're slaves to their own corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved by. Part of the battle is knowing who and what we are fighting. And during the first century church, much like now, we are fighting Gnostic philosophies that seek to dilute the scripture and in some cases hide the true meaning for the select few. So some possible options as to which group of Gnostics John was addressing. You know, one main one is incipient Gnosticism. The basic teachings of incipient Gnosticism of the first century seem to have been an emphasis on eternal dualism between the spirit and matter, the spirit being the high God, was considered good while matter was inherently evil. This dichotomy resembles Platoism's ideal versus physical, heavenly versus earthly, invisible versus visible. There was also an overemphasis on the importance of secret knowledge, passwords, or secret codes, which allow a soul to pass through the angelic spheres up to the high God necessary for salvation. There are two primary forms of incipient Gnosticism, which apparently could have been in the background of, of 1 John. You have docetic Gnosticism, which denies the true humanity of Jesus Christ because matter is evil. And you have Cerinthian Gnosticism, which identifies Christ with one of many angelic levels between the good high God and evil matter. This Christ spirit indwelt the man Jesus at his baptism and left him before his crucifixion. These two groups practiced either asceticism, which is if the body wants it, it is evil, or antimonism, which is if the body wants it, give in. So these are the two ideas that we, we battle with today, and you can probably see a couple of them in different groups of society today. You have some groups that say give in to pleasure because God wouldn't have given you these desires if he didn't want you to act on them fully. And this is something John was dealing with. 
And we've already got the epistles. We have Paul. I've read from Peter. I've read from you know Paul's writings, and I've read from John's writings, and they all come against this idea. So we've we've already had this dealt with since the first century, since the you know the beginnings of the church. So there's no excuse for it. This giving into your your pleasures and your flesh and giving into your desires has already been dealt with by the Word of God long ago. And then we have this other group that says, if the body wants it, it's evil. This eschewing of, of uh, everything that is, you know, uh, that the body needs, like eating food, for that matter. That, that is more of like an idea that you see commonly in like Buddhism, where they, 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 they're trying to eliminate self altogether. And this idea is also dealt with. We're supposed to love God with everything. And we're supposed to live according to his pattern. Enjoy. That's why clarity of our beliefs is so critical. To understand the plain reading of the words of Christ and the many epistles gives us this basis to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. It gives us a measuring stick to judge this world. If something in our culture is antithetical to the gospel, then we need to offer clarity to the world and be the salt and light that is needed. This brings me to my final point, which is conviction. To know what God's truth is. Part of the way that we know what God's truth is, is by the fruit that someone bears. So when someone is providing godly fruit, we know that it's from God. But when the wrong fruit is being created, then we know that, that, that it's, it's coming from the wrong source. God allows us to live in our sin in the hope that we will turn from our sin. And to him, we'll turn for redemption. We live in a fallen world and there's a lot that is wrong with the world due to the corruption of sin. This does not mean that we have free reign to keep sinning, but rather that we aspire to a higher principle. We should be growing in our convictions as we draw closer to the Lord, not moving farther and farther away from the light. In verse 17, we learn that another reason we should not pursue the desires of this world is that this system, along with its desires, is in the process of passing out of existence. We are living in what John called the last hour of the world's existence. The world is only temporary and ephemeral. Those who do God's will, will abide, will remain alive forever. Since all Christians will live forever, John was not saying we attain eternal life by our obedience. However, we abide, we enjoy this relationship, this intimate relationship with God, and we experience our eternal life abundantly now as well as after death when we obey God. Just as Abraham, through obedience to God, obtained the title friend of God, by which he is known today in three world religions, and will be known forever, so too the obedient Christian can obtain the same identity by obedience. Likewise, it would be reasonable to conclude that Christian identity in eternity will be determined by obedience to God in time. Resisting the appeal of the world is difficult for every believer. John urged his readers in, this, in, his, in view of, the, of its attractiveness to understand the avenues of its temptations and to remember four things. 
Love for the world indicates a lack of love for God. It results in consequences that are not what our loving Heavenly Father desires for our welfare. It lasts for only a short time, and it precludes intimate fellowship with God. In 1 Corinthians 7.31, And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So as we close, we need to remember that we are to deal with those in the world with compassion, just as Christ did. The goal is not to become more like the world, but to rescue others from the grip of the world. When dealing with the world, our place in it must stand with clarity. The world will try to confuse you and lead you astray. One of the best ways to combat this is to pray. Read your Bible regularly and to commune with fellow believers. We're also shown we should avoid the fleshly and carnal things of this world. And that finally brings me to conviction. As we grow in Christ, we should also grow in our convictions. The closer we move to Christ, the further we move away from this world. So do not be afraid to tell others that even though God is the God of love, that does not mean that we are called to love all things. We are called to love the Lord. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That means you love him more than you love yourself. And that means that you do what he says out of love for him before you just do what you want, especially when what you want is in contradiction or is contrary to his word. That means we love him above all else. That because we love him, we will not love the things that are in rebellion to God and his nature. And with that, if I could have every head bowed, every eye closed, unless, of course, you're driving. I always like to throw that in just in case. I want to thank you for listening to this message, and I pray that it has impacted your life. But as with every message, I want to give an opportunity that if this message is spoken to you, if it's convicted your heart and you recognize that you're not right with God and you want to get right with God, then you can do that right now. You could you know, signify that you want that by lifting your hand, raise a hand. I can't see it, but clear, you know, but God can. And if you did raise your hand and you mean it, that you want, you want to repent, you want to get right with God, then you can do that. You just simply repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. But I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me and that he rose from the dead. And I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I repent of my sin. I turn from it. And I thank you for salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple prayer. We typically call that a sinner's prayer. And that is all it takes to, you know, to go from you being dead in the world to alive in Christ. And of course, there's always next steps just to, you know, to grow in Christ, like I always said. And, the, and part of that is finding a Bible-believing church. If you're in Salmon Arm, you know, reach out. We have service at 1030 on Sundays. If you're somewhere else in the world, you want help finding a church, reach out. I'd be more than happy to point you in the direction of one of our, you know, 3,500 fellowship churches that we have worldwide. You know, God's moving in this end times. 
And we want to get as many people in right relationship with God as we possibly can. I want to thank you for listening. I apologize for the sound of my voice this morning. I'm getting over being sick. But I thank you again, and I can't wait for you to come back next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing. Join the conversation and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.